Modern. 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 We're prepping for a voyage. Modern. The force of an old-fashioned equals whiskey mass times bitters acceleration. Why don't you make that a double? Modern Bar Cart. What's shaking, cocktail fans? Welcome to episode 160 of the Modern Bar Cart podcast. I'm your host, Modern Bar Cart CEO, Eric Koslick. Thanks for joining me for another interview episode where we track down the best and brightest minds in the spirits and cocktail world so that we can share their secrets with you. This time around, I have the pleasure of chatting with Ricky Miller, founder of the House of Carbonati, a spirits brand that's taking luxury vodka to levels as yet unseen in the spirits space. Now, what does that mean? Isn't vodka supposed to be both neutral in flavor and aroma? So how, pray tell, can we really improve on this category? Well, it just might involve a few black diamonds and not the kind you find on the ski slopes. But before we get into all that, I do have just a couple quick announcements. First, we got our summer super sale going on through the end of the month of August 2020. So if you head on over to our e-commerce store, you'll see that a bunch of prices have been slashed. And we've also onboarded a couple new glassware items that I'd like to share with you. The first is actually a duo, a matched set of rocks glasses and highball glasses. They're the Acopa Gardenia collection, and I fell in love with this glassware pattern as soon as I laid eyes on it. It's symmetrical and faceted, which are two of my favorite traits in a luxury glass, but they also have a subtle floral pattern and they're surprisingly affordable. We're talking like really affordable for glassware of this quality. Six bucks a piece for both rocks and highball glasses. So feel free to mix, match, and create the perfect set for your home bar. The other great piece we just onboarded is a really swanky diamond patterned mixing beaker, also by Acopa, for just $19.99. It's 25% larger than our standard Barconic mixing beaker, which makes it great for mixing up two cocktails at once. In fact, it's the mixing glass sitting on my home bar at this very moment. So head on over to modernbarcart.com to check out these and all the rest of our bar tools, glassware, and cocktail mixers, many of which are going to be selling for crazy low prices during our summer super sale, which ends when August ends. This is obviously a great time to look ahead to the changing seasons and figure out what kinds of items you'll need for all your fall sipping and entertaining. Our final announcement is in anticipation of our first live and socially distanced event in collaboration with our friends over at Sagamore Spirit in Baltimore, Maryland. Next Monday, August 24th, I'll be leading two consecutive evening cocktail bitters classes where I walk you through the history, science, and art of craft bitters making. Everybody who attends will get to make their own custom cocktail bitters to take home, which means you'll be up close and personal with a ton of awesome botanicals. So if you're tired of looking at the world through your laptop screen and you want to have a blast making your own bitters, this event is for you. We'll have a link to purchase tickets over on the show notes page for this episode, so act fast. Each class is only going to have about 10 openings and tickets are selling, selling, selling. Thanks for bearing with me for those quick announcements. And as a reward, how about we take a moment and mix up a little drink? This episode's featured cocktail is, fittingly, the Vodka Martini. Now, you may be thinking, Eric, it's 160 episodes in and you haven't featured the Vodka Martini yet? Well, truth be told, 
I didn't want to get into it because I didn't want to deal with the gin martini purists screaming at me for heresy and I didn't want to have to publicly admit that I don't think a universally accepted recipe for the vodka martini actually exists. See, despite its inherent simplicity and laser beam focus, I think of the martini kind of like a trick that a BMX biker does on a half pipe or maybe a figure skating move. For these athletes, it's all about a couple things. Rotation in midair, some other manipulation of the body while in midair, and some kind of specialized landing or finishing move. For a martini, on the other hand, it's all about what booze you use, your ratio of booze to dilution, and what other little flavors or flourishes you want in there, or don't want in there. And just like the triple axle in figure skating or the 360 tail whip in BMX, martini moves come with their own lingo. For example, I could walk up to a bar and order a stirred 50-50 dirty vodka martini, and someone else could request an upside down shaken gin martini with a twist, right? Kinda starts to sound a little bit similar to all those figure skating moves. So returning to the question, what is a vodka martini and how do you make one? I can't really give you a single recipe that will suffice, but I can offer some tips that will help you find your perfect vodka martini. Tip number one, choose your vodka carefully. As we discuss in this and other episodes, vodka has a reputation for being both neutral and flavorless, but this is a myth. You can almost always detect some influence of the distillate base when tasting a vodka. So consider which bases appeal most to you. Are you a fruit person? Are you a grape person? Are you a grain person? Are you a potato person? These things are important. It also helps to learn about how your vodka is treated during the manufacturing process, including filtration and resting techniques, which can affect things like mouthfeel and ethanol burn. Tip number two, be honest about what you want. If you just want cold vodka without anything in it, just sip vodka on the rocks. That's not a martini, and there's no shame in that. Traditionally, martinis have always had some sort of flavor additive, whether it's something like vermouth or bitters, or something a little dirtier like olive brine. So if you have strong feelings about either the amount or type of flavor additives in your martini, just specify. Your bartender should be able to replicate any ratio of ingredients that you stipulate as long as you come out and say it. Tip number three, dilution matters intensely. There's a reason why gin martini purists always stir their drinks. It allows for extremely controlled dilution, which can preserve the relationship between juniper, citrus, and bitters. But then again, there might be a reason why it's popular to shake a vodka martini, especially a dirty one that contains lactic acid from the olive brine. See, shaking increases dilution and introduces a ton of air into the drink, which can result in a creamier, thicker mouthfeel that rounds out the profile. So if you're really dedicated to ordering or creating your perfect vodka martini, make sure you also put some thought into how you want it prepared. So now that you're armed with all the info you need to perfect your next vodka martini, let's turn our attention back to the interview. In this conversation with House of Carbonati founder Ricky Miller, some of the topics we discuss include Ricky's journey through the entrepreneurial landscape, beginning in the supplement space, then evolving into a passion for beverages and the liquid medium. Why he chose the premium spirit space as his business arena, and how Ricky thinks about the differences between the terms premium and craft. 
What Italian wheat and black carbonado diamonds have to do with creating a velvety, sippable vodka with impeccable character? How the Carbonati team utilizes a wine processing technique called microoxygenation as a signature finishing move for their spirit. Which changes in the TTV's definition of vodka have both Ricky and I very excited, and much, much more. During this chat, I really enjoyed learning about the efforts that exist in the long tail of the spirit's bell curve, those little nuances that take something from an A to an A+. Ricky is a really passionate, focused guy, and anyone who has even the slightest inclination towards starting a business in the spirits and cocktail world should listen up and soak in some of the wisdom he has to offer. With that, please enjoy this really fun conversation with House of Carbonati founder, Ricky Miller. Ricky, thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me, buddy. So just give us a quick little intro about who you are, where you come from, and, and what brought you to the vodka space. Um, yeah, that's a, a, man, a loaded question. My, just my life flashed before my eyes. Um, <laughs> I'm just, you know, I'm a, I'm a regular kid from Tustin, California, um, which is in Orange County uh, in Southern California, which, you know, I think has prepped me for the world in, you know, more ways than... I could have ever imagined, you know, Orange County is a, you know, people think of it as like, you know, you, you think of Orange County, you think of the TV show and the hills. It's really actually one of the more diverse um, places in the world, which, you know, really prepared me for, you know, college and, and, and life beyond college. Um, you know, I always talk about how when I went to college, um, you know, I played football at Fresno State University. And, um, you know, I had I had friends, I had black friends on my team that had never had a white friend. I had white friends on my team that had never had a, a black friend. And I, I just thought that was like crazy to me, you know, just because I had friends from every nationality, man, every race, you know, and I was able to like navigate and, and, and be comfortable with talking to a lot of different types of people, which I think prepped me for a lot of different types of situations, personalities. And, and, and I love that. And I, and I attribute that to, you know, I think the little success I've had, you know, early on. And uh, yeah, just, I was a kid that didn't come from very much, come from a single mother household and was ultimately blessed with a, you know, a wonderful stepfather. And, um, but I've always had this entrepreneurial bug in me to, you know, do big things. I, I always had that, you know, want to be rich bug in me. Um, and, and, and for only a few reasons, that was really just to one, take care of my mother and, uh, and, and two, to try to make a tangible, positive impact on as many lives as I possibly can. I just didn't know how I was going to do it. You know, mm -hmm. I knew I wanted to be that Donald Duck guy that, you know, swam in the gold in his house and, you know, and, and, but do good for the world. And, um, you know, so I tell people, yeah, I'm, I'm materialistic. I love really cool things, but at the same time, I, I know, um, or I have a burning desire in my heart to, to really help people. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 And it's, um, you know, I, I was able to uh, listen to some interviews that you did with with other podcasts, other other mm -hmm. programs before this. And, um, you know, I, I really like a couple things about your story. Obviously, the uh, the athletics is is something that is is pretty compelling to me. Uh, I, I was I was a D3 athlete at a very where, where uh, oh, Gettysburg College. It nice. Okay. Very, very, very middling to poor school. I'd imagine, that's in Pennsylvania. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Nice. Yeah. So, so I did. I did the D three track and field for a few years until uh, until my my body was uh, done with that and uh, I couldn't do it anymore. But uh, yeah. but it, it's funny um, in the spirits and cocktail space. I, I don't come across athletes very often, and you know, especially when when you 
um, kind of do the little Venn diagram and you say, all right, well, we've got spirits and cocktails, we've got entrepreneurialism. And I think the crossover in that space, it's, it's not easy. It's, it's very tricky. And, uh, as I've tried to, you know, dip my toe into that, into that pond, uh, I, I've definitely fallen back on on some of the you know the competitive spirit and stuff like that. Um, but but I, but I really love that that you know with your story, what it's tinged with is you know this this multivocality that comes from the Orange County. And uh, my wife actually her company has an office there, and I was able uh, to visit a couple times, and I love it. I mean, the one thing I love about Orange County is you can go there and get any kind of food you want. Any. Yeah, and it no, is, for sure, it's brilliant, it's a, right? It's a, it's a it's a great place, and and I mean, what you you talk about, you know, not anyone can really just end up in spirits and luxury spirits. It's very weird for someone with you know my background to do so. And you know, mm-hmm. I think honestly, man, it's I think it's a a product of just being you know lucky and mm-hmm. you know in certain places at certain times and having like certain conversations with certain people. I actually was. You know, I didn't know what I wanted to do after football. Like I played, you know, I said I played college. I was fortunate enough to play a couple of years um, of arena football and um, didn't really know what I wanted to do after football. And so I only bring that up to say that, like, I tried a million and one things, like everything you can possibly think of. I tried, which I think is super important for people to do um, and ultimately fell in love with beverage marketing of all things like um you know, it was rooted in wanting to help people. I'd created this multi, this really powerful multivitamin that helped people of color um, with vitamin D deficiency and then learned how hard it was to sell a multivitamin. And then, you know, maybe I thought with a, a, a more effective delivery system, we can we can do something there. So started a sports a vitamin D sports drink called Helio. And, um, and then I just fell in love with like, you know, that process of creating a brand that was compelling enough for someone to drink versus another product. I love that. You know, I just loved it. And then I, you know, through that, you know, I'm a really, I'm a really good networker, not because like that sounds good, but just because I actually have um, a real genuine interest in meeting people and getting to know people. Right. Right. And so luckily I was able to um, fall into a conversation with a gentleman by the name of Frank Cooper, who used to be the uh, chief marketing officer at PepsiCo. Mm -hmm. Um, And he's a genius in that world. And, and through his conversation, like that really, through our conversations over the years, that really got me like really into like beverage marketing. And and then ultimately like creating a luxury spirit just kind of became this thing. Like I've never wanted to do anything like small or mediocre. I always want to do something big, a luxury spirit. I just thought was super grand. I thought it played within like the things that I like to do. I like to eat, I like to drink, and I love people. And um and literally just that's kind of how my desire to create a luxury spirit came into play. But at the same time, I knew like creating something like that's really like authentic luxury is not an easy thing to do. Right. And it's really easy to cheapen a luxury brand, really hard to build one. And um, so really dug into like, you know, case studies and, you know, what the real luxury brands are doing. And I always said I didn't want I wanted Carbonati to be more than a vodka company. I didn't want it to be just be an expensive vodka. I wanted to be I wanted it to be a luxury brand, which is part of the reason like when I'm talking about Carbonati in initial conversations, especially email conversations, I never say Carbonati vodka. You'll rarely see me put Carbonati and vodka in the same sentence. I always just refer to it as Carbonati, you know, mm-hmm. because I, I think it, it's more than a vodka brand, and it's it's a it's a belief, it's a it's a way of life, it's a, you know, and so I 
but just those subtle like nuances I think are important in building a luxury brand and, you know, not using the real, the word luxury too much. And like in, in, in marketing, like there's very easy ways to make something super corny and non luxury. And, and I'm very, very, very aware and sensitive to those things. Yeah. It's, it's not just a, it's, it's not just a brand. It's, it's a house. House Correct. of Carbonati. That's, that's right. Carbonati, that's right. comma, house of. And yes. uh, I, I want to return to beverage marketing because I think there's okay. there's a lot of fun stuff there. But um, I think when 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 I was listening um, to you talk uh, in another podcast about how you were kind of in the supplement space, right? You created this mm -hmm. vitamin D drink. Mm -hmm. uh, you you did that to solve a problem, you know, mm -hmm. an existing problem, a very well documented problem, and it was a problem, you know, like you said, you want to do good. Well, this mm -hmm. is this is a this is an opportunity for you to, um, you know, use a product to to do that to execute yeah. that, um, and I think that's great. But but what it reminded me of was um, Reid Hoffman, the founder of LinkedIn. He has this podcast called Masters of Scale that I listened mm -hmm. to for for quite a while, and there's this one episode where he posed this question, and the question was, if you're an entrepreneur, are you making medicine or are you making a vitamin? And the way that he framed that question was it's like, well, if you're making a vitamin, you're going to have to kind of take the back seat to the people who are making medicine because the people who are making medicine are solving problems that people are acutely aware of and they will pay money to get that problem solved. Whereas a vitamin, you know, the way he framed it was just like, well, vitamins just sort of it literally a supplement it's like so okay. my so my ver my version of that which i know exactly what he's saying my yeah. version of that was precisely was birthed out of me actually launching a multivitamin mm -hmm. to actually launching another product called eight hour snooze which is a sleep shot mm -hmm. that i that that i created with a buddy um back in 2000 like 11 or 12. um and and what i tell people it's like selling a multivitamin versus selling an energy drink right mm -hmm. The multivitamin is, is 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 a much harder thing to sell because you're you're basically selling it to someone. They're giving your money. You're giving them this product, and you're basically saying, "Trust us, it works." Right? And, and there's no tangible filling. They don't take mm -hmm. it and they don't fill anything. When you sell an energy drink, which is why Red Bull can be a you know twenty billion dollar company, when they spend their four dollars or three dollars or whatever it is on the can and they drink it. They fill it, right? They're paying mm. for that filling. Um, and that's a much easier sell than selling something that someone has to have faith in that they that, that it's gonna help them over time. Mm. Right. So like so that's what that's what actually made me shift from selling a multivitamin to selling a sleep shot because we're selling a very we're solving a very particular problem that mm -hmm. we're gonna solve for people tonight. Yep. Not like you know, yeah, take this vitamin D and trust us. It's going to like eliminate your vulnerability to, you know, different systemic diseases. Like it's, a, it's just a much harder sell. And I don't know if he's saying exactly that, but I've always used that selling a multivitamin versus selling an energy drink or, you know, it's just, it's a, it's, with, with our short, um, our, our, our instant gratification culture, like it's much easier to sell something that I, that's going to affect you today and not, you know, over a period of time. Yeah, exactly. And I love the idea of immediacy because I think, you know, really, in, in the spirits and cocktail space, um, one of the ways that I like to think of myself, uh, one of the things that I like to say is that the reason why I enjoy spirits and cocktails is because flavor is one of my favorite ways to participate in the universe. I am a collection mm -hmm. of particles. 
atoms, molecules, cells, tissues, organs, organ systems, organism. Mm-hmm. And, but at the, at, at the end of the day, I'm just a collection of particles taking in another collection of particles, right? Mm-hmm. It's coming out of mm-hmm. a bottle and it's a collection of particles that becomes part of me. And in a certain manner of speaking, that's the universe participating in itself. And when I take a drink of something and I get not only the flavor sensation, but I get mm-hmm. the mouthfeel, I get the pleasant chest burn, I get all of mm-hmm. these things. Those are immediate things. And so, you know, a lot of people, like if, if you were to run spirits and cocktails through Reed Hoffman's, is this medicine or is this a vitamin? Well, most people would say, well, it's a vitamin. You mm-hmm. don't need spirits and cocktails. And Correct. yet there's the immediacy aspect of it that you pointed out that I think is super compelling. So uh, I know that this has so far been a very entrepreneurially conversation, but I, I think mm-hmm. this is important groundwork to lay as we start talking about Carbonati because mm-hmm. this stuff is kind of what underpins it all. And when we're talking about vodka, which is this at least as far as the TTB is concerned, odorless, flavorless spirit, it's a little bit tough to pin down sometimes. So I think it's it's really important. So that's been my, you know, I saw one of your um, questions and it talked about like, what are some of my unusual or uncommon beliefs? Um, (laughs) That's been, you know, selling a $60, $70 vodka to bars and restaurants when they can get a high flying Tito's for a third of that cost mm-hmm. is a hard sell, especially when they're sold on odorless and tasteless, which I always mm-hmm. said was a very archaic way of looking at vodka. Mm-hmm. Luckily, I this year, in the last few months, now I don't look like so much of an idiot because the TTB has since uh, rede- redefined that definition. Oh, no kidding. The, the, yeah, I just I actually just did an interview with Kara Newman with Wine Enthusiasts oh, awesome. on... on, on on my on how I feel about that, right? I've always said that vodka actually has more character. Our vodka has a character and personality and flavors and nuances that a, a seasoned like a uh, someone that really drinks vodka can pick up on, mm-hmm. and that there is a lot of personality and it, and it, there are, there is odor and there is taste. And I always said that, right? But the TTB this year has backed that now. Now now that they've op- they've they've brought in the the definition. And they talk about vodkas being able to have personality and character, and that literally just came out earlier this year, which I was so pleased to to hear. Um, now a lot of big time traditional vodkas they might not like that, right? Like mm-hmm. you know the the Eastern European um, vodkas that are used to like you know the vodkas burning your chest, and you know that's not what we are. A lot of a lot of uh, vodka people call us a Western style vodka just because. And that's what I want, right? I don't want it. I want something that even non-traditional sippers can sip, right? Mm-hmm. I want the biggest thing we have, especially when we do like private events, you know, the biggest comment we have is, you know, I don't normally drink vodka, you know, and, 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 and when they take it, when they take their first sip, you can tell they're bracing for that smack in the, that ethanol smack in the face and it doesn't come. And that's what I want. I want people to be able to enjoy vodka by itself without a chaser to actually enjoy it, maybe a, a, a lemon twist in it and, and, and just by itself. Um, and that's what I wanted to achieve. And yeah, we might not be a traditional, you know, vodka that, that is super high on the nose with ethanol, but that's not what I wanted. I wanted something mm-hmm. super clean that people can actually enjoy and not have to mix. Well, that's fantastic. I I love, I love that, that backing as we go into some of the more technical aspects of this. Um, so I guess to be, to be explicit with it, this is one of the questions that that we had, um, on, on the sheet that I sent you. It's, um, like when, when you 
like let's say before Carbonati, right? So like mm-hmm. like as you were maybe thinking about Carbonati and thinking about mm-hmm. building a vodka brand, what to you is an excellent vodka experience? Like is it is it straight? Is it on the rocks? What do you look for? What and and I guess maybe a different way to say it is what for you sets apart a really attractive glass of vodka from a somewhat less attractive glass. So for for me, it's it's really simple. I for me, a perfect vodka experience is an ice cold martini, so cold that there's like ice chips on the surface, mm. um, with a little bit of uh, uh, with a lemon twist. Mm. I, I, I like dry martinis. I don't want anything in it, um, and stirred, especially with 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 ours. The consistency can be messed up if shaken. The texture, mm. so I like it stirred, ice cold, lemon twist. Um, and something that I can really enjoy, not have to like, I mean, how many times can you remember drinking a cocktail and like having to in front of people and having to pretend like not to make a face? I want to be able to drink a vodka that I don't have to make a face. It is actually pleasant and refreshing and complements whatever I'm eating or not, but it's pleasant to drink and it's not just a tool to get me wasted. Mm-hmm. You know, something I can really, really like truly enjoy. I know people that drink things on the rocks all the time. And when you watch them drink it, they, have, they make a face after like, you know, an unpleasant face. I'm like, How did, are you really enjoying that? Or are you just drinking it because it looks good and that's what everybody's drinking? Mm-hmm. I wanted to create something that like people can really enjoy, you know, and mm-hmm. um, and that's what we, I feel like we achieved, achieved in Carbonati. For sure. So let's talk a little bit about how you achieved that. Now, Got it. Um, you are not ostensibly a distiller and your operation um obviously there's some strong ties with italy so can you tell us how you went about building sort of like the team that is responsible for putting this product together yes for sure so i i contacted when i first wanted to get into the business i really to be honest with you i didn't know much about spirits at all um i'm more of a branding guy right and but i but i'm smart enough to know that um, a strong brand is not much without a strong product. Mm-hmm. And so I reached out um, to a, a well-known distiller um, in Los Angeles, a guy named Melkin Kosrovian, who, who's really known and really into the craft, artisanal um, spirits game, only uses real products, nothing, you know, unnatural. Um, and really just dug into his brain about what's out there. How can I make it special? I honestly, you know, um, didn't know where I wanted to go. I love Italy and I love the idea of it coming from Italy, um, but was cautioned by a lot of well-known or, or a lot of well-respected people that Italy and vodka don't traditionally go together. But they thought that was a bad idea. I thought that was a great idea because you know Italy Italian luxury is for my in, in my in my head is very easy to market, um, and Italian ingredients are top-notch, and they they you know. And so I thought if I can really package this together and get people to, to try it. And, um, you know, I thought I had something there. And so just started digging and digging and digging. Um, and just putting a, an Italian vodka in a bottle wasn't enough for me. I wanted to make it super special. Um, and so we, we tried a bunch of different processes and just, you know, transparently, you know, full, all transparency, like going into the game with a gimmicky process um, was something we almost did because it's easy for marketing. But at the end of the day, the, the 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 level of success that we want to achieve as a brand, you know, something that an LVMH would be proud of, something, you know, we knew that the process had to be real. It had to be authentic. It had to be something that um, that really worked. Um, I love the idea um, of the black diamonds, um, not because it, it sounds cool, 
but because the raw black diamonds, aka carbonados, are actually microporous and they actually extract impurities that a conventional filter can't extract. All that really means is it gets it, it makes it uh, for a clean spirit, right? Which is that's and that's where we you get very little ethanol in the nose. That's where um, you don't get any hangovers. It's, it's super super clean. And so that's why I don't say diamond filtration. I say carbonado filtration because if you Google diamond filtered vodkas, you get a bunch of cheesy like thousand dollar options of like, oh, this vodka touched these white diamonds and it's like super cheesy. I, I don't want to play the thousand dollar vodka game. I want to play the in a price point that makes sense for the process that we do that that we actually do. And that process with the black diamonds, it was a home run, I felt like, because it actually works and actually tangibly enhance the spirit, but it also was sexy. You know, mm -hmm. when people hear that black diamond, they, 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 there's something sexy about it. And so the thought of like coming from Italy, being in a black di diamond or, or being filtered through black diamonds, coming in a black bottle, it was just super different in a world of monotony and saturation. Like I love the idea that it came from Italy. I love the black diamond. And then the microoxygenation was just the last touch to make it special. That's what gives it its creamy texture, which like you mentioned, is, was a common wine process. And a lot of wine companies used to use it to simulate the, um, the aging process. We do it because it gives it that consistency. It, like, it elongates the molecules so that it glides across your tongue instead of poking and burning. And, and, and that was like the final touch that just made it super, super sexy. And we're so proud of it. I mean, I don't want to mess with the process too much, but we're always trying to make it better. But we're, we're really happy with what we have now from, you know, a wide range of like reputable, you know, psalms and people in the industry that love it. You know, I'm, and, and to be honest with you, like I got lucky. It's not like I was this like spirit wonder boy that just came up with this special thing. It was just tapping into people that were a lot smarter than me. And then like, just weaving it all together. But you know what? I, I, I do think that probably the decision to go with Italy was, was one of the best ones because what you what you had was a bunch of people saying, Italy, yeah, but that, that's not vodka. Italy's not vodka. You're, you're, you're almost doing a non sequitur there. People don't think vodka and then associate with Italy. But to anybody who is like in the entrepreneurial space who has done product development before, when somebody says, oh, X is not associated with Y. What you say is like, that's a huge white space. Ding, I ding, can, ding. Yes, I can exactly. go into that white space. So first of all, I love that. I love that you went to the land of the Ferrari and, mm -hmm. you know, like all these other beautiful luxury products, you know, luxury suits, luxury, you know, clothing, luxury cars, luxury everything yes. um, to go and create a luxury vodka, right? I think that is the rhyme. My, my background's in, in poetry. And so when I, when I look at these things, sometimes I look for rhymes. And so what they're yes. saying is, that, well, you didn't get the vodka rhyme, but you're saying, yeah, yeah, but I got the luxury rhyme. Yes. And so you were able to complete that sentence in people's minds in a way that makes sense and feels right while still being novel and, and mm -hmm. a little bit intriguing. Um, so I do want to return to, of course, the carbonados and yes. to uh, obviously micro-oxygenation because these are the two really, I think, crazy innovative things that you're doing with your process. Yeah. But first, can we back up and talk about Italian wheat? Yes. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's actually it's organic winter wheat. Which I tell people, you know, just from from my learnings is it's just a more durable, slightly sweeter form of wheat, but super high quality mm -hmm. that they weren't using for vodka, mm -hmm. you know. And I'm like, why not? Like, and like you said, for me, I saw saw the white space. Um, we tried a bunch of different types, and most people, you know, just like they, you know, would tell me in the bars, 
you can't really tell the difference, but I could, mm-hmm. I really could. And, you know, and then their, their rebuttal would be like, well, a, a beginning drinker or someone that doesn't drink all the time wouldn't be able to, but that's not who I'm going after first. I'm going after the person that's looking for those subtleties. Right. And so it just made sense. And, you know, and I knew from the most from, you know, from down from the ingredient to the process, to the bottle, to every to how we make it, that the person that we're going after is going to pay close attention to that. And yeah, so some of the best winter wheat in the entire world that um, the family that we work with, they use for other products, um, but none for for alcohol. And it was for, for me, it was a it was totally a no brainer. I think wheat vodkas are probably among my favorite vodkas. I've done a, a bit of vodka judging at, at various spirits competitions. Oh, nice. And, you know, obviously, think about it. If it's a flavorless, odorless spirit, great. Mm-hmm. You know what? You're still going to be able to taste that base product. And, and so, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for me, grape or fruit bases tend to have that inherent grapey or fruity sweetness to them. Mm-hmm. And then corn vodkas actually... <laughs> I really don't like it all. They tend to. Uh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a big corn vodka fan either. They, you can you can almost immediately tell there's 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 a very narrow band that you have to fall into with corn, where you're still getting a hint of that sweetness, but it doesn't go into like a an off part of the flavor spectrum. It's very yeah. difficult to hit, and there's a lot of corn vodkas out there because if you launch a vodka in America and you're bottling, basically. MGP or, you know, like some mass distilled products, you're going to be getting something usually made from corn. That's going to be the cheapest Mm -hmm. thing. And then you get to brand it. And then that's how you increase your margins is you take the cheapest product and then you brand it. And so, and, and they're mixing it too. So at the end of the day, it doesn't matter too much, right? Cause they're going to be mixing it anyway, mm -hmm. um, which is why they can get, get, get rid of that. I mean, people, a lot of, you know, even though I'm not a big corn vodka fan, people try to talk bad about Tito's all the time. And I'm like, listen, I'm not, I can't talk bad about Tito's like Tito's is the number one selling vodka in the world. They're doing something right, you yep. know? And so I'm not a big fan of corn vodka, but you know, if you're mixing it in cocktails, like I tell people, I am a Tito's and a carbonati drinker because when I want a mixed uh, cocktail, if I'm going to mix it, then I use Tito's. If I want something that I can enjoy by itself and I want the flavors and have the personality to be on the, you know, on the forefront, then I'm going to drink carbonati. I, I, I honestly tell people that even say, listen, if you're going to make, make mixed cocktails, Use another vodka. You're gonna you're gonna mask it anyway. But if you want something, you want an elevated experience. You want something that um, you know you can taste and enjoy. Then then step it up and and, and definitely buy a bottle of Carbonati. Absolutely, yeah, it makes complete sense. Yeah. And and, back to, and I, I I know you want to keep this really spirits based, but a lot of what I did was based on. There's a book out there um, called Crossing the Chasm, which is a it's like a bible in the tech world and it's just Mm -hmm. a matter of like introducing new technologies right and like they say i was introduced to it this guy said it's like a bible for all the tech billionaires and basically all all it is is like in launching a new product right you don't launch it to the masses you know if you want to launch a product you launch it to the early the the early adopters or the innovators the early adopters and then the, the the premise of the book was that the chasm between the early adopters and the innovators that chasm between them and the early majority is where most brands die. All the money is in the early majority. If you can get to the masses, but until you get the innovators and early adopters, the early majority is not paying attention. Like in the late majority, the laggards, they're never gonna hear about your brand. The laggard is someone like my mom who just started using Uber like two weeks ago, right? (laughs) So like you don't get to them, she's not using Uber until it's like a regular thing, right? And so 
that's why I, those subtle differences in the wheat, the, the subtleties of the process, I knew had to be on point to get those early adopters. Because if I can get them, that's going to get the attention of the early majority. And then that's how the brand's going to grow. But that's a, you know, in, in this world, that's a marathon. That's a 10 year play to even be a known brand. So, you know, um, we're committed to that. But that's why the smallest details in every bit of the design and every bit of the process and every bit of our event marketing, our brand partnerships, it had to be on point if we were going to be a true, like a true, true, true luxury brand. You know, we can listen, I can sell a $30 bottle, $25 bottle of vodka and, and market it to everybody and hope that it sticks. But that really wasn't my play. I wanted to make something super special that people that really care about the product will, will, will enjoy. Right. And I mean, Personally, for my palate, I, I love wheat vodkas. I think um, one of the brands that's done some of the best work in the space in terms of just getting people excited about vodka is Reka uh, out of Iceland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, big they, fan they, of Reka, the, the lava, right? The yep. lava rock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. They've done a great job. Yeah, and they use wheat, um, so that's that's great. But um, you know, I, as we turn our attention to the filtration and the micro oxygenation process, yes. one of the things that I really want to hammer home. And most people are probably at least implicitly aware of this, but I want to put it on the forefront of everybody's mind is that if you're drinking vodka, nine out of 10 times, let's put cocktails off to the sidebar, nine out yes. of 10 times, if you're drinking vodka, what you're looking for is something, even if you don't know it, something with a nice mouthfeel yes. and something that is, even though I really don't like this word, smooth and and not like another way to say that would be like without the ethanol burn correct right? correct so talk to me first about the carbonado diamonds because that i imagine that comes first in the process before the micro oxygenation is that correct yes the micro yes the micro ox is the very last process because right. that's what that's what really enhances the um the texture mm-hmm so after we've done that, we don't want to play with it, right. which is why we tell bartenders. I mean, it's hard sometimes with like union properties. A lot of these like luxury hotels are union properties and the bartenders just don't care. But we tell bartenders, you know, you want to stir this. It's, you definitely want to, You don't want to shake it. You shake it. It just messes. It messes up the texture. You, you stir it and you're gentle with it. Yeah. The, the last process is the micro oxygenation. Well, so let's start with the carbonado, the carbonado okay. diamonds, because that that's first. The, the micro oxygenation is super compelling to me, but the car. So mm-hmm. one of the things that's interesting, right? If you, if you talk to a vodka distiller, what they will tell you is we put our vodka through a carbon filter. And Correct. most, pe- most people think of their Brita filters, which is fair. There's carbon yes. in there. There's little flecks of black carbon in there. Um, yes. but diamonds are made from carbon. So there's this really Correct. cool, that's another rhyme in yes. the story of carbonati. So talk to me about the, the porousness and the actual effects of this, uh, this filtration system, because I think it's, I think it's really special. Yeah. So the car, the carbonata filtration, I was, I was looking around cause I thought I, I might've had some on my desk, but if you think about like, um, fruity pebbles, that's about the size of the stones that we get, mm-hmm. right? And we get about 3,500 carats of them. And if you can imagine, this isn't a plug for Red Bull, but if you can imagine <laughs> like a, a cylindrical filter about about that big, you know, about, about that wide, okay. we have like four or five of them. We jam pack about 3,500 carats of these carbonados in there in the, the cylindrical um, filter airtight. And because of their micropores, these are uncut, unpolished, they're microporous and very absorbent. So we have to switch them out every now and then. Um, but we've done tests where we we filtered them through the carbonados. 
um, and we've done tests with, with, with the mouth been filtered through the carbonados, then there's a very significant difference in the cleanliness of the spirit. There's mm -hmm. a very distinct taste. And the one with the carbonado filtration is way more pleasant, way cleaner on the palate, way less aftertaste. And ultimately, you know, we, we would like to say that that leads to no hangover, which is a, a huge, a huge deal for us. But yeah, that was that's the main part of what the carbonados, what, what the effect it has on the spirit. It just makes it a, a supremely clean spirit. Right. And, and for folks listening at home, a couple couple things I want to point out about this is that, um, well, one, the, the technical name for uh, these impurities in spirits. And if you're in the whiskey world, actually, this is a good thing. So if you're sticking your, your spirit in a barrel and aging it, you actually want these things called congeners. And, and, exactly. and, and these are these are the compounds that, you know, kind of like play a part in, in the, the hangover the next day. And, and obviously, you know, the, the more you can do work to eliminate those, the, the, the better, the, the process is going to be in terms of cleanliness. Now, in terms of the carbonado diamonds, I, I must imagine that these congeners and then like most carbon filters, they have sort of like an opposite charge, right? So as as the the liquid passes through this, these congeners with a certain charge are, are attracted to a filter, or in your case, a literal diamond with diamond, an, yep. <laughs> an opposing charge that that sucks them out of the water. So for folks who you know just put their Brita filter under the sink and then just leave it and forget it, that that's yeah. that's kind of what's happening is that there's actual actual chemistry and physics going on here, uh, and it's these opposing charges that that take this out, and um, so so there's that. Um, so which which Eric, you know what I think you would you would actually appreciate. Um, I'm having this um, this contraption developed so that we can do. I'll invite you when we get it done, where we can do boardroom takeovers at like magazine headquarters, where we can set it set it up on the um, on the conference table, and we can show you exactly what the filtration does. You can taste it before, taste it after, and it's like this really cool contraption where before it's filtered and microroxed and after, and you can see the difference. It's, there's a very, very, very tangible difference. And I wish I could have more people taste it the before and after, because then you see you know, how special the process is. Oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. Um, so, so getting on to microoxygenation now, uh, again, I mentioned my degrees in poetry. Uh, I'm not quite sure what your science background is, but, uh, but, but we're very much trusting what, what the chemists and the physicists tell us here. And, uh, I, I did as much research as I possibly could about microoxygenation yeah. uh, before we sat down and, and had this conversation. But really the big takeaway that I have is like you mentioned earlier, it's, it's, it's a lengthening of molecular chains by infusing oxygen into the product in a really intense manner. So can you describe that? That's a, you, you, I can't describe it any better than you just did. That's exactly what it is. And you can do, there, there are different levels. Now, the more you infuse, the actually the longer and the creamier it gets. Mm. Um, you know, there's a very, very specific level that, that we do it, which gives you the final product that, that, you know, that we've presented to the world. But that's it in a nutshell. You, it's just pumping copious amounts of oxygen into the spirit. Like we mentioned before, wine brands used to do it. And it's not as common anymore because wine purists didn't really like the artificial aging. They wanted that barrel aging, you know, mm. but for the vodka it really helps in the texture. And that's one of the consistent 
notes and, and descriptives we get from Psalms is that creamy texture. And you can see it when, you know, one of the visuals that we also use when we're doing demonstrations is we have people swirl the swirl the vodka in a glass against another vodka. So you can see the tangible difference and the Carbonati coats the glass like a like a wine would and has incredibly um beautiful legs mm, yeah legs and for folks who don't know mm. what legs are that's sort of like if, if you if you get um a nice clean glass clean is important here a nice clean glass and then you pour a pour of a spirit and it could be barrel aged it could be non-barrel aged and if you can kind of roll the glass coat the outside of the glass and then let it settle you can see these drips begin to form as gravity pulls the liquid that's coating the inside of the glass down and kind of like the larger and the slower these legs move it can really tell you something about the mouthfeel of that spirit without ever even having to put it in your mouth of course you're going to but it's it's, a, it's something that um people who are at the top of their game in spirits evaluation will always look for because it's one of those little hints that can help you to do your job just a little bit better because if you've ever talked to a chef they'll say well we eat first with our eyes well yes. the same goes for spirits and cocktails um you know we, we just need to work a little harder at it <laughs> yes and we do that without sugar too a lot of brands will use sugar to to, to, to give it a, a creamy texture we do that without without any sugar it's a purely organic process yeah. Uh, well, Ricky, I want to talk a little bit about uh, what the future holds for Carbonati. Yeah. But uh, first, I want to make sure I didn't miss anything because there's obviously a lot of cool things going on with the product and, and the brand. Yeah, no, we have a, a lot of exciting things going on. I think that, you know, the whole pandemic situation, you know, it didn't really it didn't knock us down, but we had to refocus because um, or reallocate just our, our energies and, you know, Carbonati. And I think most brands, the higher in the higher end you get the more on-premise dominant it is, right? And so that was a, you know, that was definitely a blow because 80% of what we did was on-premise in restaurants, hotels, activating, educating. As a new brand, that's, I mean, that's 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 where brands are built in the, in the restaurants and in the hotels and, you know, um, so that was a blow. Um, but what it did is, is it made us, um, you know, reallocate our energy to retail um, and really step up our retail game. Um, and luckily, we have been going so hard on premise that we developed um, somewhat of a, you know, a good sized following so that that was able to, you know, we were able to translate that into retail sales, which is what's mm -hmm. keeping us alive now. Um, now we're rooting for on premise to open back up just because that's really where we that's where we do really well. That's really where we gain new consumers be because we're able to be in signature, cock you know, we're the signature martini in a lot of these restaurants. Right. Um, but you know what? Like this, it's a brand. It's a brand building um, exercise for us right now. Um, the more um, PR we can get to talk about the product and educate people, uh, the better. You know, one of the other things that kind of set us back a little bit was that we were very, very um, event marketing focused. We did a lot of really cool um, events that helped. Um, um, uh, strengthen our positioning as a luxury brand. We were the, you know, presenting vodka at the um, uh, Concorso Italiano, the biggest Italian luxury car show in the world in Monterey for Monterey Car Week. You know, we we activated and threw really posh parties and private dinners. Um, you know, highlighting new you know new yachts and you know a lot of things to really like ingrain ourselves in that world of luxury. And that and and those things are necessary because in building a new brand. It's conditioning, right? It's just people 
constantly being exposed to your brand in the right environments. Um, and so and that really hurts. So now we're trying to get creative, you know, by, you know, doing really cool campaigns, shooting short films um, that really highlight the brand, you know. But, you know, at the end of the day, like I said, I'm hoping things bounce back to normal. But we'll be ready if they don't. And we're really going to you're going to really start seeing Carbonati step up our game online from a content point of view to tell, you know, really gives us an opportunity to tell the story and to educate people on the process and different ways, you know, you can use Carbonati. You know, so that's I, I think that's probably the most exciting part. I'm excited. I'm, I'm a, I'm a right brain person. So, you know, I think, you know, I, along with, you know, a strong team behind me can really communicate the Carbonati brand through short films um, and interviews of really cool people. And, you know, I'm excited about that. I think I think people are going to be excited to see that. But as far as everything else, I mean, we're 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 going to be a we're going to be nationally distributed by spring of next year. Um, I've really focused on going deep in the territories we're in now rather than spreading ourselves too wide. Although it's super exciting to, to be able to say we're in all 50 states. That's a big on taking when you have limited resources. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the markets we're in now, California, Nevada, New York, New Jersey, Florida, we're going super deep there. And then trying to thrive online to cover everything else. But when things start opening up, we'll, we'll be in about 30 states, you know, and, and, and more available for people that want to go in store um, and buy. But it's a time of uncertainty right now. That's why we're trying to really buckle up our digital presence. And when someone searches Carbonati, um, they can get it in, in a day or two, you know. And right. so that's, you know, I think that's going to filter out, uh, you know, the businesses that, that last and the businesses that don't are the ones that are able to adjust you know, rather than wait for things to bounce back to normal, because who's no, who knows if there's going to be a, you know, um, if, we, if we are going to bounce back to normal. Right. And what, what kind of price point are people looking at? It looks like you've got a one liter and a 750 ml bottle. So the, the, the one liters are strictly, um, are strictly on premise now. Okay. The, the only reason they even ended up in stores were because I, I started with one liters only because we were on premise brand. Once we started getting a retail demand, I then manu started manufacturing 750s, mm -hmm. and now we're trying to, you know, get all the one liters out of retail and only sell 750s in stores. Right. The 750 price, I mean, from, you know, when they're when, when their sales, I've seen it as low as like 56.99, as high as you know 90 dollars. Mm -hmm. You know, so yeah, that's about that's about the price point for the 750. I say 69.99 is about the normal price. Right. And, you know, there's there's something interesting about this. And I, and, you know, we, we kind of covered what what's in store for Carbonati. And, and before we jump into the lightning round questions here, I think an interesting place for us to kind of settle here as we wrap up the inter interview would be kind of um, we could call it a pitch. We could call it just sort of like a little comparison for our, our listeners, because I know that a lot of my listeners are into craft spirits. I talk a lot yeah. about craft spirits, but there's a distinction here between craft and luxury. And, um, you know, I've got some ideas about it, but I would love to hear you talk about the difference between craft and luxury, especially because I see a lot of craft bourbons or age spirits on the shelves at the same or a similar price point as your luxury spirit. Obviously, barrel aging kind of messes with the economics of that. So sure. let, let's throw that out the window and just pretend that there's a bottle of craft spirits next to a bottle of luxury spirits, and that they're mm -hmm. and they're a similar price. How do you communicate the difference to people um, in a, in a, a compelling way? Um, you know, I for me, it's like I mean that's a, that's a great question, um, and it's it, that's a you know I think that's a constant 
ongoing conversation. People call us craft. I think, you know, for me, the definition of craft is, you know, you produce below a certain amount. It doesn't tell me much about the quality, right? Mm -hmm. Like there are craft spirits out there that they're called craft because they only make a certain amount, not because of how good they are. And so I was very specific about luxury. I, um, against, you know, some strong advice from people I respect, I don't even, I don't even talk about the organic element of Carbonati because when people think about organic, they don't think about luxury. When they, they, they think, you know, they do, I guess you, in organic food, it costs more, but in, in the world of spirits, when you talk about organic spirits, it's hard to make that crossover to luxury. They're not thinking a luxury product. And so, you know, I like the, the organic thing to almost be a pleasant surprise but it's the luxury. It's the person. The person's not going to spend seventy dollars on on Carbonati because it's organic. They're going to spend it on seventy dollars on Carbonati because of the how special it is, the texture, the the, the cleanliness, the just the overall taste, mm -hmm. the the uniqueness, um, and the aesthetic of the bottle, which I think are all prime factors in creating a luxury brand. The fact that it's organic, I think, is a, is an afterthought for most people that are spending you know people people that are buying louis trey they don't give two shits whether it's organic or not it's it's special right mm -hmm. we want to go for yep. the we're, we're making we're making it for people that want something special you know and so the craft thing i, I like and i support i support the movement but i've just never looked at ourselves uh, as craft even though we do you know we 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 probably make similar amounts um but i've never wanted to associate with craft i wanted to be a true um, luxury brand. And the price point comes from a place of not wanting to, um, wanting to distinguish ourselves from the rest of the vodka pack, but not wanting to price ourselves out of the market. Because mm -hmm. there is a limit. Like people, at, at some point, vodka is vodka is vodka to a lot of people. And, you know, $120 Carbonati that I've never heard, or, you know, a, a $60 Stoli Elite. I'm probably going to go for the $60 Stoli Elite. Mm -hmm. You know, so I, I wanted to make it special. I wanted to distinguish ourselves, but I also wanted to sell vodka. You know? mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that's a that's a stellar answer to that question. I was actually very very curious uh, about about how you thought about that because when when I think about it, I think of it as a top down versus a bottom up situation. Craft, you know, one of the nice things about craft is that very often it's tied to the land, it's tied to the the, the people, the culture of a certain place, and in many cases that culture or that certain constraints in the process um, will will cap that production capacity. And so yeah. that's kind of like the, the the production capacity and the what we might call the small town romance of yes. the craft spirit. They kind of go hand in hand. One it advises the other and, and it makes sense. And I work with a lot of craft distillers. I know yes. I have an entire library of amazing craft products on my bar. But one of the re one of the things that I think very differently about when it comes to a luxury spirit is that it seems very top down in that the consumer has to do almost no work in the process and the the work that is done is like literally the financial transaction, right? I'm going to pay you this amount of money. It's more money than I would pay for another thing, but what I expect when I pay this money is that everything is going to be in its place. Yes. And and you can't you're right. You can't guarantee that with a craft product all the time. You got to you got to do your research. You got to know more. And so I think there's something interestingly unintimidating about luxury spirits that is 
not the case with craft spirits because there's that little unknown. There's that little bit of trepidation of like, am I am I am I really about to drop this money and am I am I yes. about to regret it or am I about about to really enjoy it? Could be either, but it's still a roll of the dice. And I think if there's one takeaway that I have, having had this conversation with you, it's that uh, you did the work, you put in the time, the research, and you really thought deeply whether that was following the advice of people or actually targetedly going in the opposite direction to create this brand that was built top down that has this really compelling story that is actually a craft story, but but more importantly, it's a luxury story because it doesn't require any work from us to really enjoy it. (laughs) For sure. And Eric, the thing about it too is like, and this is no disrespect to like craft entrepreneurs, like I respect and I support, mm-hmm. but for the Carbonati brand, I mean, when I think about using the word craft, this is just me, my personal mm-hmm. opinion. To me, when by calling ourselves craft, it's this is just my interpretation. It's like saying we're the small guy, but we do a good job. But support us because we're the small guy. Right. I didn't want that. I wanted to be. Yeah, we're a small guy, but guess what? We do it better than the big guy. Mm-hmm. And I want you to buy it because it's better than that, not because we're the small guy. And and maybe that's not the interpretation for all people with craft, but it's just mine. And I didn't want I didn't want I don't want to handicap myself. No, we are the best. We're a luxury brand, and we'll go head to head against anybody out there from a, from a taste standpoint. And that's not disrespecting any brands. It's just mm-hmm. when it's it's just wanting to create. You know, I know Gary Vaynerchuk says this all the time. He wants to create the biggest building by creating the biggest building, not by. Cu- tearing all the other buildings down. Mm-hmm. And that's what I, and that's what I really wanted to do. Yeah. Uh, well, I think there's a reason why uh, Ferrari only makes a certain number of cars every year. And uh, Ferrari is not a craft automaker. <laughs> exactly. That's, ex- that's exactly right. That's a, that's a good one. That's exactly right. Uh, that's exactly right. Well, Ricky, this has been fantastic. Um, We'll give you a chance at the end of the uh, interview to give us all of your digital handles, all the all the different ways to purchase the product and and um, keep in touch with your brand. Uh, but is there anything else that you wanted to make sure that our listeners um, uh, could hear from you before we jump into the lightning round? Um, no, I think we got we got a we got a lot of things across. Just yeah, just you know, pay attention to some of the new content that we're going to be putting out. We're really excited about it. Um, I have one of the best content creative directors in the world, and this guy named Eric Reed. Um, who, you know, I, with every single day and, and, you know, I call myself the creative director for the brand, but we, we work together on, you know, just creating just magic. And I'm really excited to start putting this stuff out. And, and it's just, I had to remind myself that I didn't want to be just a vodka company. And I got caught up in working so much in the business that I didn't have a chance to work on the business and -hmm. communicate Carbonati to the world the way that I wanted to communicate it. And now we're doing that, and 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 that's what's I think is going to make it special. And so, you know, over the next few months, you know, just keep keep a lookout for that on on our our Instagram channel. Awesome, fantastic. Yeah. All right, yeah. and with that, let's jump into the lightning round. So you you mentioned this earlier. So let me let me see if I can throw a little handicap on you because you got you okay. got ahead of me on this question. We know that your favorite cocktail is the uh, like a ice cold stirred. Carbonati martini, maybe a little lemon twist in there, but yes. but let's say let's say Carbonati's off the table. Okay, what is your favorite cocktail? And uh, if you don't have a favorite of all time, what's something maybe you've been experimenting with recently? Old fashioned, yeah, love the old fashioned, and uh, yeah, it made any way. I like all different like varieties of old fashions, and there's a lot of them out there. Um, but yeah, old fashioned is definitely my go to drink. Mm. 
I love if that. Not, if it's not if it's not the black diamond martini. I love that in a in a vodka person too because because it's uh you know when in the whiskey world it is the the picture of simplicity and precision. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, great. If you were a cocktail ingredient, what would you be and why? Oh, that's a good one. I would be edible gold. That 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 bartenders use to 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 make the really 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 special drinks just because when I see edible gold on like a cocktail like a special event I'm like ooh that makes it super super special oh my god yeah I don't yeah. I don't even think I've had a cocktail with edible gold <laughs> obviously there's the gold schlager that that everybody gets yeah. over hopefully past the age of like 23 yeah yeah so when when you get that at an event is it usually like is it a thing that they kind of paint on the rim is it something that goes sprinkled sprinkled over the top sprinkle oh yeah like a gold leaf yeah. oh yeah exactly exactly especially if there's exactly. like a little bit of egg white on top a little bit of foam. yes exactly oh, exactly yeah. uh well hopefully back when we're able to have events again i can maybe uh try my hand at a little bit of that myself <laughs> yep all right here's the Widowmaker. if you could have a cocktail with anybody in the world past or present just who would it be where would you go what would you drink paint us a nice picture all right, so this is going to be a good one, right? I thought I thought about this. I'm, I'm gonna, and it's two people. I'm going to break the rules. Okay. I'm going to have a cigar, a black diamond martini, in the Hamptons, in a very secluded backyard, and I'm going to have President Barack Obama and President Donald Trump. Oh no! And I, and, I, <laughs> <laughs> and we're just going to have deep conversation. And you know what? My ultimate, my ultimate, like. Like what I believe is going to come out of that is we're going to realize that we're all very much alike and that pandering to, you know, your supporters is, 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 is a very dangerous thing to do and it's very divisive. But I think ultimately we're all very similar and I think we'd have a really cool, fun conversation. I bet. You know, it's funny. I did, uh, I did an episode probably a year and a half ago now where I answered this lightning round question and my answer uh, was Barack Obama. Yeah, I think it'd be fun. Um, yeah, just because I had so so many questions, and uh, yeah, just that, that's that's fascinating. But yeah, very brave of you, and I think that really speaks to uh, to your your eagerness to take on a a vast world of people with very different opinions on products yes. and bring them yes. all around the common table. That's right. That is right. Beautiful. Uh, what is a common or traditional cocktail ingredient that you've never tasted, and why? I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it right. But and I've only never tasted it because I don't like the way it looks, mm -hmm. and that's a lychee. lychee. Oh, lychee! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lychee, lychee, mm -hmm. lychee. Yeah, I, and I don't know why. It just it's never looked pleasant. I've seen it in a lot of really cool looking cocktails, but there's something about it that just I've never had the desire to taste. You know, it's funny uh, for listeners. Uh, a lychee is it's it's. I think it might be related to like a water chestnut or something, but I think technically it's a fruit, like a rambutan. Uh, it's, it's got this spiky outside casing, and then yes. the inside is this white semi-translucent kind of nut-like. It looks like a nut, but it's really like a fruit or something, and it's... It's it's kind of tropical tasting, um, but yeah, it's it's got this like weird shock appeal that is like uh, it's 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 both fascinating but also slightly unsettling. So I, I can kind of get behind that. <laughs> so even when I see it, like sometimes I'll see it at like you know those like um, like yogurt land places where you like you can put the toppings on your own ice cream, mm -hmm. and I see it there, and I'm like, that's the weirdest option. But I guess people like it, you know. Maybe yeah. one day I'll try it. I'll, I'll try to try it one day. For sure. Oh, that's a good one. We haven't had that one before. Lychee. <laughs> I love Leech. it. All right. 
Last one here. What is an unusual or controversial view or belief that you hold in the spirits or cocktail space? So I think we, we talked about this a little bit. I think it was just, you know, the belief that vodka does have character and personality and flavors. And, uh, you know, like I said, I was looked at as a nut when I was talking to like bartenders that that was always their pushback, you know, and I was like, no, but there's more to it. So literally like, I was so happy when that when TTB changed their definition this year because I always used to say, and I almost felt a little disre- I felt disrespectful when I said it. When I always, it's an archaic way of thinking, but I really believed it, you know. And I thought that, you know, I think that there are some good vodkas out there that have a lot of flavor and and character, and I just thought that it was very limiting to live and abide by that definition. Right. And I think the perfect response to somebody who says, you know, oh, well, vodka doesn't taste anything. It's odorless and flavorless. And it's like, well, yeah, with that attitude. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yep. Beautiful. Uh, well, Ricky, man, this has been uh, deeply pleasurable for me because uh, I learned a ton, not only by by doing the research um, before this, but also, you know, by by having you kind of lead me through not only the thought process, but also some of the technical attributes that uh, that make Carbonati special. So and this has just been a blast for me. But can you tell our listeners how they can learn more about your brand and how they can get in touch, uh, especially in the digital space? Yes, for sure. So the, I, would, I think the best place to start is on Instagram, House of Carbonati on Instagram. Our website, which is still being done, but I think you can go and there's there's stuff up now at houseofcarbonati.com. And uh, yeah, if you have any questions, you can send it to the House of Carbonati Instagram page or my personal Instagram page at uh, Ricky Miller the third, all spelled out on Instagram, and and I'm very responsive. So you know, I get anytime anyone has questions about Carbonati, it really excites me because you know, like I said, we're we're still a baby in this game. We're fresh, so like. Any like unsolicited, you know, inquiries or questions about the brand, it excites me. It means we're doing a good job of getting it out there. And, um, you know, I, I encourage anyone to reach out and I, I would love to chat. Absolutely. So one one last kind of two part question here. Can you yeah. just remind us once again, the states where you're currently being carried for uh, either on premise or retail and then let us know, is there any way we can purchase online nationally yes. since some of the shipping restrictions have recently been relaxed on spirits? For sure. You can, so, you know, you can actually go to stores and restaurants on premise in California, Nevada, New York, New Jersey, Florida, mm-hmm. as you know, as of today. And then online, you know, I always tell people, if you just Google bicarbonati online, you, there's a lot of options that'll come up, but high times, net is a good one that ships nationally. You know, there's a lot of shipping rules. Right. High times, one of the ones that ships nationally wine wine.com ships in california mm-hmm. um but like i said if you just google carbonati vodka um online you'll you'll get a lot of options beautiful and we're certainly looking forward yep. to uh as things hopefully get back on track here the uh the expanded distribution and the expanded footprint of your brand um and uh i guess i guess for now uh, we'll we'll just recommend that people people find it where they can especially if you're in one of those states that's lucky enough to have it right now go out and, yep. um, you know, if you're one of those people who thinks that uh, vodka doesn't taste like anything, well, why don't you go do a little test and let us know. <laughs> exactly. Ricky, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Hey, thank you, bud. It's been, it's been a pleasure. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, there's two big things you can do for us here at Modern Bar Cart. One would be to tell your friends and family if you think they'd enjoy listening to us talk about cocktails. 
And if they don't download podcasts, they can always stream our episodes on their desktop directly from the show notes page at modernbarcart.com. The other thing you can do to help would be to head on over to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and leave us a review. Five stars are great, but we're more interested in your feedback. And the beauty is, the more reviews we have, the easier it will be for other folks out there to learn about our show. We're trying to start a cocktail revolution here, and by spreading the word, you're helping us fight the good fight. You can always reach us by emailing podcast at modernbarcart.com if you're looking for cocktail or bartending advice, or if you're a pro who would like to pull up a mic and be interviewed for all to hear. Also, definitely follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Modern Bar Cart for cocktail porn, recipes, and entertaining tips. And keep an eye out for new product releases and special offers, which are happening all the time. We love our listeners, and we really enjoy giving you exclusive discounts and sneak peeks at our latest and greatest cocktail projects. This episode may be over, but for you, the mixological fun and adventures are just beginning. So remember, folks, drink responsibly and experiment boldly. This episode was made possible with editing and production assistance by Samantha Reed. Premium Vodka Insights, courtesy of Ricky Miller and Carbonati Vodka, and a little bit of interview magic by yours truly. This has been a Modern Bar Cart production, copyright 2020.